no reason given, mm. no way to appeal. And even though we made a lot of money, if I think about how much I invested in it and having it pretty much you know, go away overnight, it was still the best and worst investment I ever made. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the How to Start Building Your Wealth and Investing in the Stock Market online course, the complete proven step-by-step course to guide you from novice to confident investor. To get an amazing 35% discount on this course, go to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Tom Liebelt. Tom, are you ready to rock? I am so ready to rock. Yes. Well, Tom was born in communist Poland and escaped to the U.S. when he was 11 years old in the early 90s. But back when he was nine, he was selling products with his father at soccer stadiums in Eastern Europe, where he learned the hard way, how to sell and how not to be hustled. He is hyper-focused on helping course creators market their online courses. So if you have an online course, this is the man you want to talk to. Tom, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, so a couple things happen, you know, between the soccer stadiums and then, you know, the marketing of online courses. Around when I was 16, I opened a record store, but since I couldn't open it by myself, I got partners that were older that could actually fill the paperwork. Big lesson there, partnerships suck. And I moved on from there. And then I got into the music industry, which was always my goal since I was little too, it was business and music. And I started working at big studios in New York as an intern, then as an assistant engineer, engineer, then, you know, put out my own music, kind of in a niche space too. Got through that, started feeling like I need to get back in business, but I wanted to get better at sales. So I moved from one big corporation to the next, taking sales jobs. So, you know, Hiddlety, MetLife, Nationwide, Warranty Direct, all these different companies. I wanted to do retail, inside, outside, all of it. You know, it took about four or five years. I had that down. I always say this, if you can sell, you're always in business. And it helped ever since then. After that, I was a bit lost. So I bought a coffee shop. I don't like coffee. Turned out to not be the best idea. And then got into the internet world. So did a lot in the internet. Also filmed a documentary when I was bored for a year or two. And yeah, been exciting. pretty much running a remote business, you know, ever since. That's exciting. A true entrepreneur. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Circumstances. I had a pretty good SEO business. This was in my early 30s. And, you know, it was good. It was good. You, you know, you rank your website. You know, you start getting phone calls, you meet the people, you sell them, you rent their websites and you know, move on and on. It's a good business. Google, fairly unpredictable. You know, you have not much control there. And also the methods we were using back then, also probably not the smartest. So one of them, we used to pay to get our articles on different blog networks. Blog networks were pretty much websites owned by someone else 
made only to give backlinks to your website so that it ranks higher. So, you know, we had a big team, 14 team of writers, I think at that time, spending a lot of time and money and effort, you know, getting into these bug networks because if we could put, you know, 50 backlinks back in one month to your website, every month, you know, it would go higher. And that was a big part of our model back then. And we had other techniques too, but this was a big piece of it. At one point, you know, Google smartened up and they always smarten up, you know, these companies when you're, you know, doing shady stuff. And they destroyed almost all the block networks, right? They joined them, they looked at the IP addresses and de-indexed them. And thousands of SEO companies were pretty much, you know, back to square one. Except not only that, we now had teams of writers, <laughs> nowhere to put the blog posts, and that was the stepping stone into my worst investment, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which back then looked like the best opportunity in some ways. So, so what did you do with all these writers and all this overhead you had? So here's the, here's the thing, man. Back then, I thought, okay, this team is awesome. I don't want to just fire them, right? And I had a friend who mentioned, you know, Amazon and the Kindle business starting up. So... I told my team, look, you're used to writing on whatever topic, you know, all the time, because the websites that came to us were on different topics, so we didn't care. I was like, take these topics, do the keyword research, you know, and write up, you know, short books, 30 to 40 pages, you know, use images to fill in some gaps, blah, blah, and just put them on the Kindle, you know, in the store. Back then, you know, the Kindle store was much easier to get into for a lot of reasons. One of them was our competition was just completely lazy and they were just downloading stories from like the IRC channels and things like that that people would put out for free and just putting them on the Kindle store. They would look for books out of date with no more copyrights, put them out, you know? So you could buy like 50 copies of the Bible, for example, you know, like from 50 different sellers or mm. whichever book they found, like Tarzan or something, you know, like, but the older ones, you know, like to be like a hundred of them. And Amazon was kind of going after those, but we were brand new in the game. And I kept running my SEO business, looking at different things. And I told this team, look, just put the books in and let me know in a few months how it goes. About three months later, they broke even on the overhead. So I said, huh, okay, let me sit down with you. We'll, go over all the topics. So we would do like a two day sit down session, go, you know, come up with 800 topics or so, and they would go off to the races. And eventually we were pumping out about 250 books per month towards the end of the career, (laughs) this big team. But, you know, for four or five years, the money coming in was really good. You know, I mean, I was investing Mm. quite a bit too, you know, 50, 60,000, 70,000 per year or more, you know, but we were getting really good money. And, you know, at that time, everyone was trying to get into the Kindle store. You know, it was the the thing to do, you know, and we were just making a killing. And eventually, you know, the pricing changed. So before, what they did was have two tiers, right? If someone buys your book, you get like 70% of the purchase price. Between, I think it was $4.99 and $9.99. So we always tried to charge, you know, as high as we could just to get that. If someone rented your book, you got a dollar something. So rentals were actually easier than sales, right? So we mm-hmm. really focused on getting the rentals. And at one point, I think 
three, four years after starting, they killed the rental, you know, payout, and they made it now pages read. Fine. So now we told people in the introduction of the book, you know, before you read this book, skip to the end to get the golden nugget and then come back, right? So everyone would just go straight up and we would get paid out. But it just wasn't as lucrative, you know? And eventually, you know, the account just got shut down. No reason given, mm. no way to appeal. And even though we made a lot of money, if I think about how much I invested in it and having it pretty much, you know, go away overnight, it was still the best and worst investment I ever made. Mm. And when it shut down from Amazon, how did you handle that as far as all the employees or the people that were writing and all that? Well, when it shut down, well, you know, first it's a bit of a shock, right? Okay, well, this, this was a big piece of business that mm. made me be able to not care about income at all, even though I was, you know, we were still working, but it's just, yeah. you know, it was in the back of my mind, like, oh, it's always coming in. And I thought, you know, I learned my lesson. The employees were let go at that point mm. for that department. And I vowed to never make that same mistake again. And, you know, taking the easier way out, which this was, it just made me realize, you know, that the bad things that usually happen to my businesses were because I could not control a big piece of mm. the business, right? So SEO, Google does whatever they want. I have zero control, not really a good business. So let's, Amazon. Let's, let's review these as the lessons that you've learned. Yeah. Because these are, I, I think it's super valuable, particularly for young people that think, oh yeah, I can make a lot of money on the internet. Yeah, so okay. How so, would you, so how would you list these? <laughs> so one thing is, you know, there's, there's always going to be a path for you, right? The hard way or the easy way. <laughs> Should I build a store on Amazon, which, you know, with e-commerce, Right. Or should I build my own store? Amazon easy, but if it gets shut down, you were left with nothing building your own store, super difficult. But if you have it, you're untouchable. Mm -hmm. Do I manufacture my own product or do I start drop shipping, which anyone else can do or the drop shipper can decide that they're going to sell your product now and mm -hmm. you no longer get it. Yep. I've seen that happen before building up your brand. Am I going to use Twitter? or am I gonna use my own blog, right? One's easy because it already has the audience. The second one hard, but you control, right? You always have these paths in business. And when it comes to younger listeners, I do have, you know, people come to me with like, hey, I got this great opportunity. Do you wanna help me market it? And I'm like, well, what, what is it? We are helping people market on TikTok. And I was like, okay. So you just picked the new platform, and you're tying yourself into that platform. That's a crappy business. And mm -hmm. you know, they always come back at me like, oh, you have no idea, we do this, this, and I was like, yeah, but you don't control anything. Right. You're one change away from being out of business. And this happened a lot with LinkedIn lead generation businesses. I had a few friends running them successfully for a while, but every time they came to me with the idea, I'm like, mm, I'm good. Yep. Like We have an assistant helping our business get leads on mm. it but it's one assistant and if they, you know, LinkedIn goes away, we could care less. It's just right. one platform, yep. right? So always realize that when you're looking at an opportunity, you know, is this the easy path or the hard path? And <laughs> where's the control? Who owns the control in this situation? 
and most likely if it's an easier path, you don't have control. Right. Got it. I think this is super valuable. Let me summarize what I took away. There's a few things I wrote down in my own, you know, thinking is that you have to build your own assets. It's hard. You do. Yeah. It's you harder, gotta, harder. Gotta, <laughs> yep. You got to build your own assets. And I think that one of the things that I've learned from my own experience with online courses in particular is that, you know, one thing is to build content, but the other one is to build audience and you have a choice use someone else's audience or create your own. And again, this is the exact choice you're talking about. That's the hard choice. And so I think the last part of that, as I think it's through what I wanted to say, you know, I, I'm a fundamental analyst. All of my career has been about looking at a company's fundamentals and thinking whether this is a good investment or not. I'm not a technical guy. And that means that a lot of fundamental guys may look down on technical guys or say, ah, oh, that's not real investing or whatever. But I've changed over the years, the way I look at it and the way I think about it. And I think that, you know, basically what's happening with a technical guy is that they're riding a wave of sentiment around a stock, around a sector, around oil. They're riding a wave of sentiment. And I think that I've learned that there's many ways to make money. But the point is, is if you don't know that you're riding a wave, then when it crashes, you're surprised. So it's not to say that you wouldn't take advantage of sometimes doing something like what you've talked about, but know when you're riding a wave. And that's really my biggest takeaway. Any other thoughts you'd have on that? Well, when it comes to stocks, when I was in college, and this was a horrible investment too, but it wasn't a bad one, like, you know, which I would call it worse. It was just horrible thinking. I listened to the teacher about how to invest my money, right? And, you know, college teachers, they have a lot going for them, but usually they teach because they don't know how to do whatever it is that they're teaching. And so this guy's telling me, put your $500, you know, initial $500 into a mutual fund and let someone else that's an expert deal with it. Well, you know how these experts work, right? And I, I later worked with a life insurance company that I seen how they worked. You know, you mm. might as well just throw a dart yourself. But what happened with that is, you know, I go in, they show me all this back performance, which I realized later on, it doesn't predict anything in the future, right? But I was like, I think 17 or 18 at that time. Because my high school paid for college, I kind of um, jumped a little quicker. Mm. But the thing is, I come back after two years, yeah, you got 500, you're supposed to, you know, maybe have six or 700 by the time. And they're like, oh, God actually was going to put some money in. And they said, oh, you don't have enough money to even put money in. I was like, what do you mean? Well, you need to have $500 minimum to add money to your account. So you need to refill the $500. I was like, hold on a second here. I put 500 in. I was like, you idiots got 500 two years ago. And now it's 380. And you're asking me to put money in just so I can keep trading. I was like, I'm good. And I took all the money out. And I think I put it in some stock, which I just liked to, you know, I don't know. It was like some drink and actually made money. But, <laughs> but that was the thing. And, and I realized that, you know, the company fundamentals, because I read a lot of these books back then, you know, mm -hmm. Peter Flinch and all these. And I'm, I'm never going to be able to go into the company like they are, you know, right. with 10 million or 20 million behind 
me and be like, let me speak to your manager. And can you imagine some kid going like, let me talk to your manager. I want to see, you know, what you're, you know, they'll never let me do that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of started thinking about following trends. And my friend actually wrote a book on this later on mm -hmm. called Trend Following, uh, Michael Cabell, which described what I was kind of imagining, but in, you know, in a much more, you know, like structured right. thing. And that sort of worked, you know, like if I'm, if there's a, something that I use a lot and I really like it, usually most other people do too, mm. but I, you know, I, I would not ever give stock advice to anyone because, you know, I missed <laughs> a lot of them. Like I missed the Bitcoin thing. I missed a lot of things, even though people said back then, Tom, invest in this, invest in that. But I was, you know, so, yes. but trend following does make sense, right? If something is on an upward trajectory, mm. it might keep going up. If something's just, on a down. Just, just know that you're doing it. Just, just know, know that know you're that riding that it. wave because every wave yeah. crashes. Every wave yeah. crashes. So, and anything with fundamentals, if you look at the market now, because I still do, yeah. it's so irrational. It doesn't make any sense yeah. at all. You know, you could say India blew up yesterday and the stock market would be up 2%. Mm. Yep. You know, it's just completely irrational. So you, everyone that I'm seeing on Twitter now being a stock expert, and they never lose money, you know, these Twitter yeah. stock experts, they're writing trends and becoming experts in that short amount of time. But it's this long term because you've been in it much longer, yes. you know, yep. 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 doing it for a long term is, is, you know, so most of them will disappear. Yeah. You know, it's all about risk management. It's all about risk management, which I didn't know when I was younger. All right. Let's, let's talk about, you know, based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn in your life, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, the main thing is, you know, keep your team small, if possible, right? You know, hustling and multitasking and all this stuff is great in the beginning when you're younger, mm. but later on, it just causes more problems. Keep your schedule open. If you don't have time to think and analyze your business, it won't grow. You won't find opportunities. You know, like working in the business and again, hustling is great if you want to keep making what you're making, but to really move to the next step, you know, you're going to have some painful thinking to get through. And specialize, mm. specialize. You know, in the beginning when we had the marketing company, we did, you know, I can market your e-commerce store, service or product or, you know, online course, anything. If someone came up to me and said, you know, why should I go with you over someone like Jay Abraham? I would say there's zero reasons at all, you know, because if you can afford them, go with them. But with online courses, I'm like, well, Jay's got no idea about online courses. He goes to people like me to market them, you know. So becoming a big fish in a smaller pond often is not only more profitable, but will make your life easier. And you can always expand if you want to, but you will probably realize that you don't. Mm -hmm. And you will think like in my case, okay, well, I have this service business that's doing great. We're booked up and everything. But now we're starting to look, okay, well, how can we diversify in the way that I did before? You know, how can we make yep. more info products or how can we create an, a sauce? Which, you know, this is like something, you know, software-based will take a longer time to build. Yep. But once it's up and running and making money, it's the easiest machine to work with. You know, info products, great also, but they have their cycles, right? Mm. So at some point, you will have to update them. You will have to, you know, they're not evergreen completely, but also very good business model. And, you know, to service, because you don't want to be the expert that's teaching what he doesn't know anymore. So you just keep doing that. But it's just, you know, diversifying it in that way 
mm. within the niche. It's, I think it's that's the it. way. Team small, work on the business and specialize. All right. That's it. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Well, that's what I outlined. That's what we've been working on now. We're looking at opportunities in these spaces to kind of diversify. And mm. on the personal front, you know, like I have multiple apartments. You know, I live in Thailand. I have something in the States, in Europe. And what happened recently, really rethinking, you know, because the travel now, like we got stuck. You know, like we went to Krabi to, we usually go to the beach for two months a year. And now we got stuck for four months. We can't even get back to Chiang Mai. And then I'm thinking about going to the U.S. to see my parents and hanging out there. But how is that going to work? And then Europe. Oh, my God. So rethinking my personal kind of, you know, because I used to follow mm. the weather, but that might yeah. not be an option at all mm. times. So, you know, rethinking just the, the personal travel. I think we're all doing yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk. Visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Tom, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? You know, stop listening to other people for advice. Too. Usually if someone else said it, it's already too late. Like the best opportunities are something that, you know, you either kind of figure out by yourself by looking at what's working or just kind of comes to you during your thinking process. But if someone tells you, go build this, I don't know, I've never seen it where that's really a good idea. Great, great advice. All right, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.